when, when looking for more information on especially the Exalted March DLC, apparently like the like everything is rumors except for that Twitter barrage that was it was it Mike Laidlaw? Yeah, Mike Laidlaw put out where that one had some like hard facts of like what it was going to be. So I was just gonna focus on that rather than the rumors. Yeah, for sure. My namesake. Am I like on page twenty if you Google Exalted March? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Am I on there somewhere? <laughs> Probably. It, it was really hard to, like, not just find, you know, the game's exalted merches, like, details on that. Like, no, no, I want the, the cut content that's really obscure. That's what I want. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so welcome to Split the Veil podcast, where we talk about uh, Dragon Age, Mass Effect, Bioware-related things. I'm Jordan. I have a YouTube channel called The Exalted March. And I'm Katie, and I have a YouTube channel called Gildreth uh, so today we decided we were going to talk about Dragon Age 2. Last time we kind of did our deep dive on uh, Mass Effect Andromeda because that's somewhat of a controversial topic and we kind of gave our thoughts on it, what we thought worked well, what failed about it. Uh, and so we thought this is kind of also one of those evergreen topics. We can always talk about it. It's one of those debates that keeps coming back up in the Bioware community. Uh, so we thought we would kind of go over our general thoughts of Dragon Age 2. Same thing, what failed, what worked, mm-hmm. and maybe some missed opportunities with DLC or other things that, that they could have done that they didn't do. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, jumping right into it, what did you think of the game? You know, Dragon Age 2, and I think I mentioned this last time, it's one of the only Bioware games that I completely stalled on. I mm-hmm. did not finish it when I originally started playing it and I mean there was a, there was a real point where I thought am I ever even going to go back and bother finishing it <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and that never happens with Bioware games like I, I plow through Bioware games and a lot of times I start my second playthrough immediately after the first one mm-hmm. um, so yeah my initial reaction to it was like I didn't like it I felt like it was the worst Bioware game I had ever played and just wasn't a fan of how limited the city was Kirkwall felt small to me uh, the, the dungeons were so repetitive. All the same reactions, all the same criticisms that you always hear uh, about Dragon Age 2. And then at some point, I just decided, well, I really need to go back and finish it. And I stalled pretty early. I think I stalled before the end of Act 2. And of course, the end of Act 2 with the Kunari and like the showdown with the Era Shock and everything, that's like probably the most badass part of the whole game. Um, I think they almost could have ended the game on the end of Act 2. That's how strong it is. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of turned my opinion around on it. I, I really loved the the end of Act Two and Act Three, and then you know on when I once I started playing through the Bioware games on PC because originally I played everything on console. Mm-hmm. You know, I I played it with mods and I got to kind of tinker around with it. I don't know what happened. Just over time, I guess I started to um, become more familiar with the Dragon Age franchise storyline, and then I really started to appreciate that Dragon Age Two is like a whole game about setting up. Um, the the major fallout in Dragon Age Inquisition. That's super frustrating if it's twenty whatever the twenty eleven whenever the game comes out and you finish playing the game and I think like during the third act you see Alistair or uh, or Stroud or somebody like run in tell you how unimportant this entire game is and how they have something more important to do and then bomb out real quick and you go like well how come I'm not playing in that game then that that's super frustrating in the moment. But when you play it, like when you marathon all the Dragon Age games, you're like, oh, this is actually kind of cool that they took the time to do this just as setup. Mm-hmm. So initial reaction, very disappointed like everyone else in context and in hindsight. I've, I've kind of, you know, I've kind of started to love Dragon Age too, honestly. I have a, I guess, so I play Dragon Age pretty late. Like I, I played Origins for the first time in, oh God, what year was it? It was like, it, it was January 1st, 2015. So I, I coming into the series really late, and I pretty much just shotgunned the series back to back to back. So I, I didn't I didn't even know that Dragon Age 2 was supposed to be a bad game. I just saw Dragon Age and was like, oh, that's the next one. I'll play it. So I, I came into it thinking it was going to be one thing. I thought, I thought the Dragon Age series was going to be all about the Blights. So when that didn't happen, for the most part, in Dragon Age 2, I was shocked. It was like, oh, God, what's going on? But um, I, yeah, I didn't. It was definitely different than Origins, but, like, I didn't hate it. Like, I just thought it was like, oh, you know, like, this is, you know, some of the things are repetitive. But I just assumed that was a product of the times because it was a really older game. And it wasn't until much later I was like, oh, no, this is just, this was shit back then. Oh, okay. I just thought, <laughs> I just assumed it was something about older games because I'm pretty new to the gaming experience. So, 
I guess that's my unique perspective of like at the time I didn't think it was that bad because I was outside of the bubble of drama. Um, yeah, no, that that's a super interesting perspective and it's super valuable too because like being in the bubble, it really distorts things. I almost wonder if I would have, I mean, I enjoyed Andromeda, but I almost wonder if like people who aren't on the subreddit and who aren't on like the Bioware social network would enjoy it more without knowing about the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dragon Age 2 is, you know, it's probably very similar as well. Like that, that that's a that's a great perspective and also the perspective of like you got to play the games you know, at your own pace, you weren't necessarily yeah. waiting after Dragon Age 2. Well, now I'm waiting, so... <laughs> yes, join, welcome Age to 4, the... Where are you? <laughs> I, I, I think that, the especially when I started Andromeda, I was like, oh, this must be what Dragon Age 2 kind of felt like. But I almost think that... And the, the bad things about Andromeda, for the most... Like, the glitches are definitely an issue, but Andromeda seems to be more of a well-put-together game than Dragon Age 2. Like, even though I love Dragon Age 2 more than I love in- or, uh, Andromeda just because it's Dragon Age, like, I-, I feel like a lot of the major issues with Dragon Age are, like, worse than Andromeda, if that makes sense. Like, the repetitive areas, um, a lot of, the, especially the this DLC problem, like, holy shit, like, it is so expensive still. What is up with that? That's insane. Um, I think I paid more for the Dragon Age 2 DLC than I did for any of the other games because I was able to get them on sale. But anyway... Um, and then, uh, like, it was really short for what it was. Like, I don't How much was it when it came out? Do you know? Well, how much was the DLC for or, Dragon uh, Age 2? I mean, the base game. Oh, I think it should have been normal fifty nine ninety nine. which you're right. That feels short compared to, Yeah. you know, the value you got from, like, I mean, you can spend 100 hours in Origins doing everything. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Inquisition. Like, it, doing everything playthrough, it takes me about, like, a hundred plus hours to do Origins, and then like 150 hours to do Inquisition, and then it's like 50 hours for Dragon Age 2. Like, that's so much shorter. And if it was like a $60 game, like, I can see why people are really upset with that. Like, that's not great. For, for Bioware fans, I think that's definitely true, but I do think, like, I did close to everything on this most recent run of, of Dragon Age 2. It took me about 60 hours. I was actually pretty impressed that mm-hmm. it's that long, but it, it takes Bioware fans to, to get 60 hours out of a game and go, it's too short. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I guess I just don't play a lot of games that aren't, like, RPGs. So, like, Skyrim, like, you could spend your whole life on that and, like, it doesn't whatever. Like, Stardew Valley, like, that's... <laughs> That that doesn't end. So uh, coming into a game that, like, does have an ending, I just expect, like, you know, a lot of time to be able to put into it. And uh, Dragon Age 2 definitely is really tiny. It's so small. Yeah, compared to other games, though, like, right now I got on a weird, like, Assassin's Creed um, binge recently. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are open-world games that have lots of side quests, but you can blast through those. Like, I can get through Dragon... I mean, sorry, Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations. I mean, you can knock through all of those at 15, 20 hours a pop. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that, like, Bioware fans have this expectation of, like, it's got to be minimum over 50 hours. Yeah. Do you think that the game has aged well do you, do you think it has done better now that there's more time distancing it from the drama and then also kind of like like for my assumption i thought that a lot of the flaws it had was just because of the time period do you think now like that's because i see all the time on like tumblr or reddit like people really love dragon age 2 and it's their favorite out of the series and probably at the time it came out that would have been heresy so do you think it has aged well I, I do think it's aged well, and it's such a great question about whether or not it's aged well. I'm really glad you, you phrased it exactly that way, because I've, <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot as far as how games age. I just mentioned Assassin's Creed, and like I'm playing some really old games there, technically, because Assassin's Creed started in 07, and Assassin's Creed 2 was in 09. Did it really? I, I, wow. Um, so like Dragon Age 2, has it aged well? I think it has aged well, and the reason why I think it's aged well... I think games aging well have a lot to do with how many other newer games have done specific, have done systems that are like those systems, right? Mm. So graphically, there's really no, there's no way you can get around it. The games all age about the same, yeah. except for like your occasional crisis or something like that that's just way ahead of its time. Um, as far as how it plays, to me, Dragon Age 2 aged well because there's really nothing else like Dragon Age 2. Dragon Age Inquisition, I mean, yeah, it's still Dragon Age. You still have a four-party system, and you can you can get sort of a tactical cam and 
it's the, it's a tried and true Dragon Age combat system, but it was like the real, how do I put this? It was like the real break from, I would say the combat system is more similar in Origins and in Dragon Age 2 than it is in Dragon Age Inquisition and Dragon Age 2. Yeah. So Dragon Age 2 was kind of like the last, the last game that did that sort of closer to a CRPG party system tactical combat, but they added the fancy animations. So it yes. kind of distinguishes itself from uh, Dragon Age Origins, and then that's it. Like, Dragon Age Inquisition has fancy an- animations somewhat, but it's not quite like Dragon Age 2, and also just the plot structure and the side quests aren't quite the same as in Dragon Age 2. Like, Dragon Age 2, back in 2011, that's it. You don't really have another game like Dragon Age 2 to make it look old. It's I guess what I'm trying to say is it's different enough from Dragon Age Inquisition, that it feels like a different thing. It doesn't feel like an old thing. It mm-hmm. feels like a different thing because there's no direct analog to Dragon Age 2 that's newer. Does that did you kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. That, that also reminded me of something that I wanted to bring up is that you mentioned kind of the, the graphics for it. And I feel like um, the, the art design of Dragon Age Origins was... I mean, again, I didn't play it back in the day, but... I felt that the art direction for Dragon Age Origins was really realistic going. Like, they were trying to lean into the realism. And then Dragon Age 2, I thought it felt really cartoony. And I think that's actually aged a little bit better than Origins. A lo- that is true. Yeah. A lot a lot of the characters, um, specifically uh, even the ones that, like, aged into Inquisition, they look so much different. And it's not so much that... I mean, there is a graphical change there. But I think it's also because Dragon Age 2 just has a very unique style apart from the other Dragon Age games. And that's something else that makes it stand out. Like, the elves, like, look totally different. And, like, they even... So, Inquisition... Or, uh, Origins had the elves looking just more like short humans. And then in Inquisition, they had a little bit of differences. But then in the Dragon Age 2, they had, like, the big eyes and, like, their big heads and look like aliens. They look a lot different. So I, I feel like a lot of um, the reason it's kind of aged well is because that cartoony graphics, like... It, it's hard to, like, make that look bad. It, it's kind of like how Wind Waker. Everyone hated Wind Waker when it came out, but it has aged really well because it's kind of a timeless look. Does that make sense? No, I, I agree with that entirely. I've always said that about Wind Waker also. And then, you know, you mentioned the elves. Like, the Kunari, I mean, although they do definitely have the, the more distinct look in, mm-hmm. um, in Inquisition, I mean, if you compare the Kunari uh, between Origins and Dragon Age 2, it's a huge difference stylistically. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that in Origins, the reason behind not having the horns and everything was more of a time constraint. Yeah. Uh, and then they had to retcon, like, a lore reason for why there were no horns. But um, stylistically, I think you're right. Visually... Dragon Age 2 age as well because it feels so distinct not just I mean you're right it's like it's got a slightly more stylized you could say cartoony look mm-hmm. but it's also just like design decisions on the elves the Kunari they look really distinct mm-hmm. and, and even the humans too like there's just something I don't know how to describe it but something about the facial structure looks very cartoony and it's always really bothered me trying to make my hawk in Inquisition because it just always isn't quite right I don't know how to make the cartooniness into like the more realistic Dragon Age Inquisition, and I feel like I've heard that complaint a lot of places, and I, I don't, I, I've always wanted to try to make a video where, like, say, okay, this is why the facial structure of Dragon Age 2 looks so unique compared to Inquisition, and then trying to marry those two together, but I can't even figure it out, so. Well, that's a good idea for a video. Just real quick on that notion yeah. of Hawk. You mentioned, like, the characters that carry over between 2 and Inquisition. I'm kind of split on that because the one that I love way more in Inquisition is Varric. Like, when I go back to play D... Yeah, and I know some people don't. Like, that's, like, a real controversial thing between Hawk and Varric. But, like, I like the more toned-down, slightly smaller nose, slightly less prominent chin on Varric where he seems Mm -hmm. more like... He cuts. He cuts a real. He's a real dashing rogue of a of a dwarf in Inquisition, man. Like he looks cool. Whereas in Dragon Age Two, I kind of feel like the cartooniness is really over the top. Um, and I didn't feel that way at the time. Like when mm-hmm. I saw him in Inquisition, I'm like, wow, this is such a cool improvement. Whereas with Hawk, it's the total opposite. I'm like everybody else. I'm like they ruined Hawk in Inquisition. Yes. I. I one thing that. Um 
so I, I pretty much play with a custom hawk, but uh, w- there was one time I like, uh, I think everyone's first time playing Inquisition, you mess up doing the keep. Like, I think everyone does that. <laughs> um, so my first time playing Inquisition, I had to use the, the basic hawk. I'm like, oh, wow, this guy looks so not like the, you know, the original hawk. And I think a lot yeah. of that has to do with um, the base hawk, specifically the male, I can't say much about the female, has actually a crooked face. Like he has the, the he has squinty eyes, like one of his eyes is more squinty than the other. And I think you can't reproduce that in Inquisition. And I think that's why that hawk doesn't feel like the other hawk. Because his one of his eyes is just slightly smaller, and then he has like a kind of a very square jaw, where the Inquisition version has like a longer head. So. That is in, that is interesting. I had never noticed the asymmetry. You're saying that like there's certain features that just don't, which is completely realistic. I think there's only mm-hmm. been like one or two uh, character creators in games where you actually have an asymmetry slider. Yeah, um, that's actually really good. So, so um, I have to upload this now that you mentioned it. I actually did my my video uh, where I tried my best to recreate iconic Hawk mm-hmm. in Inquisition, and I think I did pretty good. But you're right in that you have to change it to a different head preset uh, in Inquisition because the one that they use is longer, and you kind of you need a more square um, Hawk head, I guess. Yeah, it it in it's. Inquisition, well, really all the games, uh, there's a couple NPCs that have uneven facial features. Um, in Origins, it's Ogren. He has two, you know, squinty eyes. In uh, Dragon Age 2, which is Hawk. And then in uh, Inquisition, actually, Alistair has the same feature. Um, but it's it sucks if you want to, like, make your basic Hawk. Like, if it, there's actually mods where you can um, take the classic Hawk head and then edit it. And that's something that I did, and I thought it'd be kind of easy to reproduce in the other game. I'm like, no, because of the the squinty features or whatever. Like, it just doesn't work out. And it's really frustrating. (laughs) I I agree. Super frustrating. Um, So, I think we we said we were going to... I think we said that we were going to try and answer the question of, like, overall success, failure, Dragon Mm -hmm. Age 2, thumbs up. I mean, what what do you think? Did it succeed? Did it fail? I, I think that kind of also stealing a bit of what I said from last time in Andromeda... This game was made in a year, start to finish. Right. And for what they did, that's amazing. Like, I don't know how they did. Like, I I know very little about game design because I like I don't I don't do anything involving game design. But I I just to come up with the story and then write it and then do all of the production work and then release it within a year sounds like an insane time frame. And I don't know how they did it. And, and I think, like, because we were saying like, it does age a little bit better, especially away from the drama, that I, I would have expected a game that totally only took a year of its scale to, like, just get worse. So the fact that it's getting better, I think, really speaks to the writing and then um, how much talent was actually there. And granted, it's not a perfect game, but for what they were able to do, I think they did a good job. So... I don't, like, it. did it fail at the time? It probably, like, tanked and, like, did, didn't bring in a lot of money. That failed, but I think creating a game, I'm more willing to forgive it than Andromeda for some reason, probably because it's Dragon Age. That's my own bias, but... Right. Now, I mean, it, it pains me to say this, but that from a purely, like, practical, just a, um, a realistic standpoint, a business standpoint, I have to say it did fail for the simple reason mm-hmm. that Hawk was supposed to be the protagonist for the series. Hawk was going to be Shepard for Dragon Age. And the result of Dragon Age 2 was, no, he's not. <laughs> we were yeah. going to do that. We're not going to do that anymore because EA just wanted to distance themselves as much as possible from Hawk. And really, most of the DA2 cast, I know we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit, but like most other than Varric, everybody else kind of got relegated to like, well, you know, here's, here's a one paragraph explanation of what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So from a practical standpoint of like just evaluating what happened, I, I guess it is a failure. But personally, I don't feel like it failed. Personally, the way I sort of evaluate any any game or any piece of art is what were the artists trying to accomplish? Like what were they actually setting out to do? It sucks based on like what you said, that they were given this short turnaround time by EA. EA knew that they wanted to do a trilogy, but they wanted this they wanted this game that they could get out, I think, before like fiscal year 2011 or 2012 ended or something. So they were like, get this game out in, you know, a year or 18 months or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then in that time frame, you're right. The creative talent at BioWare was like, okay, 
what's the best story we can tell in this short time frame? And they chose to center. I think they did the best thing possible with those constraints. They said, let's take this one character, this one city, this rise to power in Kirkwall for Hawk. And considering that it's meant to be a focused story, it's meant to be centered in on this one city. It's not this broad adventure the way Origins was. I think they did about as good a job as you possibly can do with that framework. So personally, I don't feel like it failed, but I just think realistically, when you look at the business of what ended up happening, unfortunately, I kind of have to concede to the fact that like the Dragon Age 2 legacy, if you will, was like dashed. I I, I totally agree with your points, um, but I will say that uh, you said... It failed because Hawk was supposed to be the protagonist, and then the Dragon Age 2 didn't do well at all, and so they had to distance themselves away from Hawk, and I'm okay with that. Like, I like Hawk, but I, I, I really like the different protagonists in each game, and I think you actually have a different opinion on that, don't you? Yeah, I, I was so attached to Hawk that I wanted, I really wanted Hawk um, to be the person going forward, mm-hmm. but I don't know, at the same time, like, in, in Elder Scrolls, I would be, I would be, like, if they brought back, you know, the Dragonborn uh, uh, or, or like the Fremorin, I would be like, no, no way. I want a different one every time. So I don't know why in Dragon Age, like I just got I got keyed into Hawk, but I love I love the Inquisitor, too. And then mm-hmm. now going forward, now that one hasn't been carried over, I agree. Like the staple of the series should be a new protagonist every time. Yeah, it it's. It's interesting how much work they put in to how lovable Hawk is, because you definitely, at least on the subreddit all the time when people say, like, what's your favorite protagonist, Hawk is almost always the predominant answer, specifically Purple Hawk, because, like, the dialogue for Hawk was really, really good. And then people do like the Warden, and then not a lot, as many people like the Inquisitor, at least for me, I think the Inqui- my Inquisitor is my favorite, but that's a whole other story. But, um, which, uh, let's, I think this is a good time to segue into the uh, Exalted March DLC that never happened of what if Hawk was the Inquisitor. Yeah, I mean, what it kind of, it, it sort of changes everything. I mean, I've even, well, I, at one point, like I made a thread on Reddit of like what would be possible to do if, um, hold on, I'm trying to remember what it was. So I had like a really weird theory that's totally not possible. <laughs> um, if in the, if when you lose either Hawk or Alistair um, in, in the fade, what would happen if you gave the player the choice to actually have the Inquisitor stay behind instead? Mm-hmm. And then and then you end up playing as Hawk for the remainder of the game. Obviously, because of the anchor and the anchor not being transferable, that's not possible. Yeah. Um, but I always thought like that would be a really interesting... Um, like, they've never done that before. If you actually switched protagonists mid-game, like what, what the impact of that would be. I always thought that would be like a really interesting what-if, even though it's not possible. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, it's like it's so that's that's what comes to mind when you say what about Hawk is the Inquisitor? Because trying to imagine Hawk is the Inquisitor like from the get go, if they had done that Exalted March DLC, it's hard because now I'm just like I'm so I'm so keyed into, you know, the Inquisitor being the Inquisitor. Um, but yeah, so the Exalted March, I mean, what what was it? Right. It was going to be um, uh, Starkhaven guy. I can't believe it. Sebastian. Sebastian. Yeah was going to come back to Kirkwall to kind of like raise the city because of the the chantry being destroyed, right? Uh something like that. so here I actually have uh um if I can copy this paste into a browser instead of a Google spreadsheet. Um so Mark Laidlaw a couple of months ago, it was actually this year sometime. Um he decided to like come out and talk about the Exalted March DLC. I I don't know what exactly happened in the past, but from the story I've gathered and from old news articles, uh it sounded like they uh did announce the Exalted March DLC through kind of like a, a puzzle they put in at a con where a bunch of the devs like wore t-shirts with like Dragon Age place names, but there was uh, letters missing. And if you uh took all the letters that were missing, it spelled out Exalted March. So people are like, oh, that's going to be the next DA2 DLC. Um, and then it just kind of got scrapped and they never really talked about it. So people assume that it was scrapped because D- uh, DA2 didn't sell well. Um, and then one of the things that uh, I'm now looking at the date that Mike Laidlaw said on January 11th of this year, he said um, that they actually didn't cancel it because uh, DA2 didn't sell well, but actually it was the move to Frostbite and they chose to 
um, kind of focus on Inquisition and make that transition smoothly rather than focusing on Dragon Age 2, which I think actually ended up working really well uh, considering the uh, success of Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, as for the actual uh, DLC of what it was supposed to be, um, they he doesn't really say too much on what the story was. Um, he does say that it was going to start out in The Hanged Man and um, it was going to be kind of you... Uh, I, I don't well, I didn't really say what Hawk was going to exactly do, but apparently you were going to work with Starkhaven and then also the pirates of the Armada, the Felissa Armada. So, um, and it I kind of hints that it was also with the Chantry against another Canary War. So, it, it, oh, that's right. It was it was a potential Canary invasion was part mm-hmm. of it, right? Yeah, he says. Uh, uh, one of his tweets sees the Chantry becoming very upset with various aspects of the Canari and started to make moves on the turbulent free marches. So it, it um, I think it was more going to be kind of almost what we saw at the end of Dragon Age Inquisition with Trespasser, where the Canari saw the chaos that was going on and decided to like move its way in. So it's interesting. I'm wondering how much... Like, it, it seems that the Canari invasion is has been a planned point for them for a while, and Trespasser was them trying to get that point back in, and I wonder how that's going to play out in the next Dragon Age game. I wonder as well, because I was right about to say that, where it's like the Canari, in, the Canari invasion is like ever impending. It's like winter mm-hmm. is coming in Game of Thrones. Like, motherfucking winter has been coming for eight seasons now. Like, the Canari invasion has been, like, they've been trying to set it up forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I was going to say also, they they tried to set it up in Mark of the Assassin, uh, the Felicia Day DLC for Dragon Age 2. Like, it was kind of alluded to or hinted at in that DLC, which was the only, like, real major DLC that DA, DA2 got. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's even more interesting now that I think about the analog between that and they were clearly meaning to have it lead into the Exalted March DLC Mm-hmm. And now, and now they're doing that again with trespassers. So you're right. Like I'm, I've been waiting for this. I hope it finally pays off in DA four, where we finally get to see some Cunari invasion action. I would be interested to. See, I, I feel like every time I finish, well, at least when the when I was playing throughout the series, every time I finish the game, I'm like, okay, the next game is gonna be about the blight. Nope. The next game is about, you know, your hawk and you, there's a Canary invasion and then you get the mages and Templars. And then I think, okay, Inquisition is going to be about the mages and Templars. It's really not. It's more about Corypheus and whatever. So I'm expecting, like, right now I'm thinking, okay, Dragon Age 4 is going to be about defeating Solus. And I'm totally expecting it's going to be nothing about Solus and we're going to focus on the Canary invasion. Like, <laughs> it's just... It, it's probably going to... They've been setting up this Canary stuff for so long. I wonder if even Solus is going to take like a, a back seat to it. Maybe we even work with Solus because uh, kind of like how we did with Trespasser. Like we, we first decided to settle our differences, fuck up the Canary, and then go, okay, now we can fight. Is that what's going to happen? I, I don't know. Yeah, either Solus has to be such an imposing figure, I think at the start of Dragon Age 4, where he's doing something so major that you have to spend the entire game dealing with whatever he's doing or mm-hmm. the flip the flip side of that is you maybe end up going to um uh, um uh the the imperium you end up going uh to some other place or maybe you go to parvalin or somewhere to look for him and he's kind of in the background mm-hmm. like, i don't think that i don't think there's any in between either he has to be major and upfront or he has to be like that elusive figure that you're trying to track down for most of the game yeah yeah, it's uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier um, with the Dragon Age DLC that did came out for two, um, the Mark of the Assassin. Uh, mm-hmm. That might have been my, um, to put it politely, least favorite Dragon Age experience. <laughs> I hated it so much. It was so awkward. And every time, like, I don't mind Felicia Day as a person. I want to throw that out there. But something about Talus and then the dialogue, I just cringed the entire time i i did you feel the same way it's not the best so i, I love how once again we have differing viewpoints on this because <laughs> i really enjoyed mark of the assassin however i hated felicia day for a while fair fair no okay. and i it was such a, it's such a weird thing too like i have these weird um like I'll just decide that I won't like someone for for no apparent reason in like a really juvenile way and i haven't done it recently but like I remember when Daniel Craig got cast as James Bond, 
Um, I had never seen Layer Cake, which is a which is a movie where he plays a character that's very Bond like. I watched the movie uh-huh. where I can't remember the name of this movie. It was a fantastic film. He was wonderful in it, but he ended up playing like a really like um, academic. He was like a professor who was like his marriage was failing, and uh-huh. then he he kind of began began to discover that he might be gay, and he starts his relationship with this other professor. It's a great movie, but I'm like that guy can't be James Bond. So I boycotted Bond movies for like. I had to catch up. I had to catch up with the Bond movies. And then I'm like, oh, this guy is one of the best James Bonds ever. Yeah. For whatever reason, when Felicia Day was doing her her web series or whatever, I just thought it was really overrated. So when I found out that they were going to let her like write and star in a Dragon Age 2 DLC, I'm like, this is nonsense. She's getting too hyped up. I'm never going to play this. Uh, and then when I finally played it like this year on my most recent Dragon Age 2 DLC, I felt dumb because I'm like, oh, this is kind of, this is kind of interesting. I kind of like this. <laughs> I, one thing I really hate about Talos, and I think, I, I don't know if this is Felicia Day's fault or who or whoever wrote, wrote it or what, Talos feels like such a self-insert character for Felicia Day. Yes. Like, it, it's like, oh, I'm an orphan, and I do all these really cool things, and look at me go, look how cool I am, and I'm so mysterious. I'm like, okay, great. I don't, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm watching her character, and not Talus, and that really bothered me, and really took right. me out of the experience. You're watching, see, see, this is perfect, like, you just voiced what I think my view of Mark of the Assassin was before mm-hmm. I had played it. Mm-hmm. Which isn't wrong, like, because when you play Mark of the Assassin, you're right. It's like Dragon Age 2 plus Felicia Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have to, like, put ourselves into that 2010, 2011 time period where, I I mean, forgive me, I don't, I never really watched it. I don't remember what her web series show was. I think it was, it was called The Guild. The Guild, that's right. Yeah. And so she was huge at that time. Like, she was one of the major internet stars of the time. And so it was like a real, like, it's Dragon Age 2 plus Felicia Day. So she was like front and center, exactly what you said. It was all about her. And so I guess like at the time, I didn't like that, even though I hadn't played it. And now recently coming into play it, I was so prepared for that. I was like, okay, that's going to be what it is. Just get over it. It's probably going to be silly. Just try to enjoy it. And so I went in with that mindset. And because I was so prepared for it, I just I, I took it as like a silly little side story, and in that way, I kind of enjoyed it. I see. I actually, when the guild was really big, I actually kind of liked it. And um, like the uh, was she had a song that came out like "Do You Want to Date My Avatar?" and I thought it was hilarious. Yes, it was and, funny. I saw that. That was funny. Yeah. So like, I actually kind of liked her stuff. And then when I watched, um, they, there was also the Dragon Age web series for uh, oh, was it Redemption, um, starring Felicia Day, mm-hmm. and that's what. Which I didn't like it, but it had a lot of lore implication. I'm just going to do a quick aside of Redemption now. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But um, did you ever watch it? I, I only watched the first episode. I'm interested to know what the lore implications were because I didn't watch it. The only reason why I didn't watch it is I thought the production value was so low. Like the Kimari I, I was, looked really yeah. weird. <laughs> but what There's also an it? elf with a beard, which kind of bothered me. But like that's a whole other <laughs> issue. Um, so at the very, very end, like the, the pretty much the entire time, you're like following Felicia Day. And I, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the very, very, very end, and this is all before uh, Inquisition came out, um, uh, the kind of the, the plot of it is that the the Sarabas, the main bad canary dude, um, has found the mask of Fenharel, and he mm. does a blood sacrifice um, to open a portal into the Fade to bring in demons. Like that's the first time, for the most part, that Fenharel had been one attached to the the Fade and opening the veil, and then also the 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 rift looked very green. That's the first time the the rift was green. So the oh. it really matched the art direction and kind of the implications of what we now know as Fenharel and Solus and Inquisition. So it's um, at, at least me looking in at, at when when I watched this web series, it was like Inquisition was out for a long, long time. And I just thought it was interesting. Like, oh, they, this Inquisition, the plot there was something they had set up back then. This is this is not new. So. Yeah, that shows how long they had it in mind. And like they were already laying down the Fenharal mm-hmm. framework. So, yeah, I feel bad for saying I didn't like Felicia Day. <laughs> it's such a stupid, <laughs> like, that's such a dumb opinion. Like, I just I think of how many times I've done that. Like, I did that with Harry Potter for a long time. I didn't read Harry Potter because I thought J.K. Rowling's was overrated. 
you're you're you were trying to be a, a culture hipster in a way i guess but i like i was real like between my friends we had two groups and like you were either harry potter or lord of the rings and i was like mm-hmm. hardcore lord of the rings Okay. So I was like, I was against Harry Potter. Such a dumb opinion. I have. I think, had I, such... I, I think it's a kid thing. Like when I was a kid, I was really into Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon was my lifeblood. I still have a whole bunch of Sailor Moon <laughs> shit. And because at the time, and I'm, I'm talking like 2001, like really early on, Pokemon yep. was really, really huge. And I hated Pokemon because mm. it was, there was getting more attention than Sailor Moon. And that really bothered me. And like now, like I've played Pokemon. It's all right. I don't know why I had such a hate for Pokemon. And then I like, it, it, I, I, when I was really young, I also didn't like Harry Potter for kind of the same reason. And I actually read Harry Potter for the first time in high school. I was like, oh, this is really nice and fun. Why did I hate this? And I liked Felicia Day. I like her stuff. I think she's good. But I still really hated Mark of the Assassin. <laughs> I like. I have the opposite opinion of Felicia Day, but somehow I hate it. And then you hate Felicia Day, or you did, but Formerly. you liked it. Yeah, what's... <laughs> What gives? Oh, tell me why you like it. I don't understand it. Every everything is is reversed in uh, in the fade. That our 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 podcast is uh, appropriately yeah. named. We've we've split the veil. We go into the fade, and everything is uh, two polar opposites. Topsy turvy. Yeah, I don't I don't get. I I'm going to say this for the first time, but you're wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible DLC. I mean, you have a great question of like, why did I like it? I guess, I mean, part of the reason why I liked it is because I was determined to like it. It's a totally terrible argument. Like I was just, I was so, I was so determined to go against my own illogical, immature dislike of Felicia Day. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of, maybe I was trying too hard to like it, but I, I guess the reasons why I liked it, I just thought if I, because I went into it expecting silliness and really sort of like, um, I really think that in a lot of ways, the Citadel DLC for Mass Effect 3, I know that's kind of like a weird aside, but mm-hmm. like there's a certain type of Bioware storytelling that mostly ends up in DLC. It, I think Andromeda is probably the first time it's ended up in a start to finish like the main uh, game. Mm-hmm. is like this sort of like silly um, TV show style storytelling as opposed to a more sober cinematic movie style storytelling. Mm-hmm. And and the the Citadel DLC, the Mark of the Assassin, um, somewhat even in Trespasser, in the lighter moments in Trespasser, it's more about like, hey, we're having this fun, unrealistic adventure, and there's sometimes humor that doesn't quite land, but it's okay, just roll with it. And I think mm-hmm. if if you're a fan of that, you're more forgiving of Mark of the Assassin. I think Mark of the Assassin feels like a like a sort of like a dumb, not dumb, but it's like a weird, um, totally implausible caper kind of a movie. Like they're trying to do like an Ocean's Eleven type of like we're gonna pull off a heist sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that because I kind of went in expecting that sort of um, lack of realism, and so it, it met the expectation I had for it. Also, I think the soundtrack is kind of fun um, at times as well. It's very different than the, than the rest of the Dragon Age Two music. It's kind of got that more upbeat sort of we're gonna like heist movie sound to the soundtrack so i enjoyed that and then i just enjoyed the you know the kunari the someone who is not a um what is it i'm forgetting the name of the of the race not not the kunari not well they call them the kossuth but that's kossuth. also debated there's a whole there, some bullshit's going on with the kossuth word but go on <laughs> yeah just like seeing felicia day's character being like no i'm i'm mm-hmm. a member of the kun i'm kunari but i'm an elf i thought that that was interesting also mm-hmm. which I, I don't know why I didn't uh, I didn't realize she was gonna be Kanari because the fucking symbols on her like chest like yeah I felt so stupid after that revelation came out I was like oh I why didn't I see this coming it's on her costume how did I not know this it was like one of those moments I had to sit there and take a minute back and go oh god <laughs> I'm so unobservant <laughs> also I liked the fact that she could throw knives. Like, that's such a shallow thing to list as a reason, but, like, I freaked out when she started throwing knives. I was like, holy crap, this is awesome! Yeah, I think gameplay-wise, like, like the sneak um, part of the DLC was, like, I think playing it as a game, it was fun. It's the story part, and then specifically Talos I had a problem with. Like, yeah. the, 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 again, the throwing knives, like, there's a, some sort of mod where, uh, I've only used it, like, once, where you can, like, use that power, and I was, yeah, that was pretty cool, I recommend it. Um... But uh, and like yeah, the sneaking I installed part, that mod for sure. It's it's a good one. Um, 
But yeah, the, I guess also on DLCs, uh, you said that, uh, so there's, there's three main DLCs. There's Legacy, which that one, I think, was the biggest lore implications because of Corypheus and blue blah blah blah. Um, but then there's also Sebastian. And as much as I didn't like uh, Mark of the Assassins, Sebastian's just like, kind of actually made me angry because it was really just a shoehorn in like oh look it's a romanceable character and the romance is like hey hey babe uh i'm i'm really in it for andraste but we can be my chase side bitch like i don't (laughs) (laughs) what was the point of it i didn't like if you want to have a religious character fine that's really cool like he wants to be chased whatever but to really just blatantly say, like, no, I'm more devoted to the church than you. Like, why Why is that even a romance option? Like, why does it matter? Why, why isn't that, like, a kind of a, a lace-harding situation where you're like, oh, you know, we, there's something flirting going on, but it's not going to work out. But I don't know. That, that yeah. whole romance and then, like, his total arc it just felt really awkward. He, he was a pre-order character. I mean, to me, that's what was honestly he? I feel. Oh I I. I want to say that if you, it was one of those things where if you pre-ordered, like, well, you had to pre-order before a cutoff date, and then you got the the version of Dragon Age 2 that has the black case. Mm-hmm. The, the the case for the game is, like, black and silver, and it came with the code for Sebastian. Because I don't think I paid for that DLC separately. Mm-hmm. He's like the Shale, basically. He's like, but the Shale was so much better. I like better. Shale. Yeah, Shale's Shale, a good character. <laughs> Shale was amazing. He's one of the, or she, rather, excuse me, is yeah. one of the best characters, I think, that never got anything. Uh, she's in she's in one of the books, but she never got yeah. brought back into the games. And I'm like, man, bring Shale back. I and Now we have to talk about Shale, because I love Shale. I, I totally would love in Dragon Age 4 as a side quest, we get Shale a human body back. Because, like, it, uh, do you know how golems are made? Yeah, well, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, the mm-hmm. lore in the backstory of Shale is amazing. If you yeah. bring her during the Paragon of Her Kind, mm-hmm. and this Caradin and Bronca, and then if you have Argrin, like, the, the, the drama is just, like, so thick. There's all these different conflicting uh, views and strong feelings. Like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It, and, like, I, I really hope that because when you make a golem, you actually take the dwarf body or corpse, maybe? I don't know. And you wrap it in stone and pour lyrium inside. So mm-hmm. Shale is still in Shale. Like, there might actually be a way to break it out and get her back. So that would be, like, a really interesting side quest. And, like, oh, look, it's, you know, the first dwarf, you know, from back in the ages. Look how much we can learn, whatever. That'd be really cool. Anyway, we shouldn't talk about Shale because we're talking about Dragon Age 2. Um, I, <laughs> I think, again, what you just said, Shale was a really good character in the series because, uh, and the Paragon of Her Kind, she had another viewpoint of, like, no, we need to follow Keridan because of these reasons. And I think almost Sebastian was trying to be that character for the Templar's side because, for the most part, you had Fenris, but you're like, oh, Fenris, you got some PTSD issues with mages. That's... We, it, don't worry, we'll do the mage thing, you'll be okay, it'll be great. Where um, Sebastian had more of, like, the religious view on why you should support the Templars. And I, I think, for the most part, he's not a bad character, just, like, the way they put him in there was just garbage. <laughs> so... It is an interesting moment when and when you finally, of course, you know that pivotal moment when when the chantry gets blown up. It oh, is an yeah. it, it is an interesting to see you know his reaction. I know it doesn't match like he has this huge over the top reaction that doesn't necessarily oh, yeah. no doesn't necessarily yeah he does the the Anakin Skywalker Darth Vader no and yeah. kind of does that whole thing but. Uh, that that's a it was it wasn't executed well, but had they been able to do that moment similar to the way that they did Shale and and Bronca, that moment could have been so much better. I think is why it disappoints people because he could have been that could have been a really great scene if it had, if he had forced the showdown right then and there mm-hmm. uh, in a stronger way between him and Andrews because I think at some point he can just walk off. Like, I'm going to come back and kill everybody. Bye. Yeah, if, like, you, if, if Anders survives, he just walks off. I think I think regardless of your uh, relationship, th- th- maybe not regardless. No, it is regardless. I think of your relationship status. If Anders survives, if you don't kill him, he just pieces out. Yeah. Which uh, he actually, um, I don't know if you've been catching up with the uh, the Knight Errant comic, but he's actually in there. He just showed up. Uh, Sebastian or Anders? Mm, uh, Sebastian. Sebastian. Oh, no, I got to catch up with the comics for sure. All right. The, um, well, the uh, I guess no spoilers is that he 
uh, how do I say this so spoiler? He, he he's you just go to Starkhaven and like you see him, and he's like a pretty chill dude. Like I, I know everyone like kind of hates him, and kind of the joke with like Varric is that everyone hates Sebastian, but like he's a pretty chill dude. I don't know, like <laughs> I I don't think he's a bad character. I, I've said this before, but he just it, it, the way they put him in to Dragon Age 2 was the worst part. Like, they easily could have done a lot of cool things with it, um, but they just didn't. So. Yeah, he was he was shoehorned in, but I always, mm-hmm. you're right, I always thought he was a cool character. I think he looks cool. I think his armor is cool. And the, the <laughs> premise for him of the prince whose family got slaughtered and he's trying to sort of, you know, bring this sort of reign of justice back to his land and retake his, his family's land and stuff. That's a really cool storyline. They just kind yeah. of put him on top of everything else in Dragon Age 2 and it didn't fit. Which apparently um, I was reading about uh, more cut content for the game um, and uh, kind of apparently what was originally supposed to be the Exalted the Exalted Prince? No, fuck. What's it? Uh, whatever Sebastian's DLC is called. Um, it, you were also supposed to um, like meet his family and like do a whole bunch of more regarding like his family taking Starkhaven and then it was supposed to also involve Nathaniel Howe. And it, it, apparently there was going to be maybe some, like, rivalry between them or something like that. So th- I think that would have been a lot cooler rather than just, like, my country, revenge my family. All right, now I'm going to hang out with you and then be really angry when you don't kill Anders. Like, <laughs> ah. have, having more stake in that would have been interesting as well. Um, That's I interesting. Ha- I also have a list of, like, other cut content stuff if you want to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, what else would they have? Um, So I don't know if this would count as cut or... Some of this stuff is like they had planned to do something, but it didn't work out very well. Um, but uh, instead of Anders, be- well, I guess being Anders, it was going to be Volana, who would take justice upon herself. And I, I think they actually almost tried to set that up in um, Awakening because Volana is a lot more angry and, uh, you know, all about, well, it's more about elves and mages, but like you can definitely see that passion and fire that I can definitely see Volana working out pretty well in Ender's place in Dragon Age 2. I see that. And as soon as you mentioned that, I'm like, whoa, the implications for that are totally different mm-hmm. be- because you end up losing the the juxtaposition between Ander's being this really kind of he's mischievous and he obviously you know can kind of get into some bad shit but he he's got a real light persona like he likes to joke around and he's very irreverent Mm -hmm. and that juxtaposition with the spirit of justice is really cool but you're right if if it goes to Valana, she's like super intense and her whole thing is about vengeance anyway for the elves and so Mm -hmm. it would have it would have been interesting but it would have been kind of totally different in a way which I think is why they actually went with Anders, because I, I think that while Volana versus Anders would have been a completely different story, I think Anders does have the better one, because you do see that juxtaposition of what Anders was before being possessed, and then after being possessed. So, in, in, in kind of like what possession kind of does to a person, how different he is, and his struggles. And I, and I think that, I, I know, um I, I forget who wrote him. But um, the writer has come out saying that a lot of Anders' struggle with um, justice is kind of trying to mirror that uh, of people with mental illnesses and how they struggle. Mm-hmm. And, like, how, you know, lighthearted, whatever, like, sometimes just bad shit happens to your mind and then you have to struggle with this thing and kind of overcoming it. And definitely when I, when you, at least for me, like, coming, I have a psychology background and I'm, like, trying to become a therapist right now. And um, I definitely see the mental illness struggle during the romance uh, Anders romance you, you can definitely see like this is kind of what it feels like to be in a relationship with someone who's struggling with a mental illness like sometimes there's good days and they're there and like you're the person you fell in love with is right in front of you and then other days it's like he like something's missing he just needs a little bit of help and it, it really I think gives the impact of the explosion a, a lot more meaning because you, at least for me when I was doing the romance because he was the one I romanced first in the game it was like, oh shit, like I couldn't save him. And I feel like that's a really big um, factor for people who are in relationships with people with mental illness that you're like, oh, I, I really want to try to like help this person. But like, you know, sometimes you kind of can't help the person you're in a relationship with. That's super interesting. Like everything you just said as I was listening to you and putting it in that framework of mental illness, it really made me think about, have you ever done the rejection 
What do you mean the rejection? Like where you st- where there's the one scene where you can you can lock into the romance, but you back out of it and you go no. Oh what's my no-? god, yeah, it's so heartbreaking. That's that is crazy, and I I did that. So it's very interesting what you're saying about the the mental illness and being part of the relationship. Because as soon as you said it, it made perfect sense to me. Because that specific playthrough where I did that, two things I felt like. Like it's like somehow I was I was that character was basically flirting with everybody. I ended up romancing mm-hmm. Meryl, I think, or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the reason why I backed out of it because it's like I noticed there's one scene where I think they where they they make out or something like that before, mm. and yeah. I was like, oh, I'm like that escalated quickly, and I didn't necessarily mean for it to escalate quickly. And then all of a sudden I was getting the scene where I was about to lock in the romance with Andrew, so I'm like, oh man, let me back out of this. You know, understandably, he gets upset, but he gets, like, really upset. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. even want to be your friend anymore after that, uh, which is understandable. But it's just, like, I, I went back and I reloaded to try, like, a couple of different dialogue options that were still rejections. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you do it. He always gets really upset. And I thought that that was really – I think that that's really interesting in the fact that that rejection is going to be really hard for him no matter what. Um, he seems to – he seems to want to try and latch on to that relationship in some sense as a way to kind of like maybe he's trying to stabilize himself. Yeah. Through that. And then and then also like it's interesting what you say, like if you do romance him, it kind of feels like it kind of feels like you can't save him, so to speak, when he ultimately ends up doing what he does with the Chantry. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that like if you didn't romance him and you reject him, you feel like, oh man, like did I cause that? Obviously, you don't like he's going to be on that path no matter what. And mm-hmm. I kind of think it's one of those it's one of those instances where the same thing happening in a in a video game that's about choices sometimes feels frustrating because you kind of feel like, wow, no matter what my choice was, this thing was going to happen anyway. But sometimes that's interesting in that what ends up happening anyway takes on a different meaning because of your choices even if your choices didn't cause that thing to happen does that make sense yeah yeah there there um actually if you read the codex entries for um so each character has like a new codex entry for each act and um the if you read anders uh if you don't rom well there's a there's if you romance him and then if you don't romance him and you end up killing that girl or not killing that girl if do you know what i'm talking about there's like that one quest where you can accidentally like kill a girl accidentally kill her um, yeah well like uh if you if your hawk doesn't intervene he will kill a mage girl uh, who was uh like sir, sir alric oh fuck what was the was it her daughter his daughter or no 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 um anders doesn't have a daughter does he no anyway. a, one of the templars daughter no that's a different one no no it's it's in the second act and it's anders personal quest and like you're trying to find like something about like the mage solution with being tranquil and you go into like the mage underground and you find sir ulrich is about to like um it, it kind of implies that he's going to do like some push this girl into doing sexual favors to um not be tranquil and um and anders like will uh you and anders will kill the templars and then afterwards he's so enraged by uh the templars he actually is about to kill the girl and then depending on your vote over your your, uh, choices by hawk you can either stop him or um you try to stop him and fail and he will kill the girl that's what it was because justice comes on so strong at the end you can't control it yeah. So um, there's there's three options of like a romance. Well, I guess a romance with either of those two and then the other two. But um, if you romance him, he's actually doing a lot better. And there's more Anders than Justice. And it's kind of describing that like you're actually really helping him kind of go through the whole thing with Justice and like working with it and trying to be more himself. If he's on his own and he didn't kill the girl, things are like, you know, pretty good or whatever. Uh, but there's still some bad days. And But if he did end up killing the girl, it's getting really bad. And for, for them, it kind of describes like for the most part, you're seeing more Justice than Anders. So you can kind of see like the progression of like who's kind of being the predominant personality of um anders versus justice so yeah and that again changes the the meaning or the context i think Mm -hmm. of when he blows up the chantry because you can you can tend to look at that if if he is doing better and if you are helping him you could tend to view him blowing up the chantry as being a low point from which he then 
starts to get better and he realizes maybe he is becoming too extreme depending on mm-hmm. your relationship with him or if he's not doing as well you could see that as maybe the beginning of the end you know what i mean yeah definitely um there is real quick um so i had a video come out of like a lore theory that someone was really kind to send to me um called like I, the video is called ander was used um i don't want to go over necessarily the theory um but i had a really great uh comment um from a dude called octafluoride and uh, he mentioned that uh, in uh, who did he say? Uh, the oh okay Jennifer Helper who was Anders' writer, um, uh, saying that when they were trying to come up with um, uh, the Exalted March DLC, one of the ideas that they had they were throwing around and it, it, apparently it didn't pan out. They weren't going to do it, but something that they were thinking about doing was when you're doing the Exalted March DLC, you would meet Justice. And by that, I mean you meet Kristoff's body with justice. So then who's possessing Anders? Oh. Yeah. So then you were thinking, like, oh, shit. Like, who's... What did, What happened? It Was Anders tricked? Did this... Did something else happen? <laughs> like, did Anders lie to us the entire time? Like, did what happened here? So the, that would have been a really interesting plot twist. But I think it would have been, like, too complicated. And, like, oh, well, it, it suddenly makes a lot of what Anders said, like, a lie, which is... Uh, it's all questions and no answers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's yeah, super yeah. interesting. But I hear that and I go, wow, like, that's all that makes me think of is just like, you're right. It kind of invalidates a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they didn't go with it. But at the same time, like, man, that would have been quite the what the fuck moment if you were playing that. Huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, as far as other stuff that we wanted to talk about, um, was there any open ends that uh, Dragon Age 2 had that you think are going to, I guess, die for the most part. Like, they're not ever going to come back and explain X or Y. I think I think really it's just the characters, right? Like, that cast, mm-hmm. is. it feels to me like is going to be really, has been and really is going to continue to be underrepresented, uh, at mm-hmm. least in the games. I mean, they're, they're probably having some more representation in comics or, or the books, etc. But just kind of like what happens to everybody afterwards... Um, mm-hmm. As far as your as far as your party members, I think that's really the main thing. I mean, if, you know, um, like you said, maybe Sebastian uh, in the in the com in the comics or Varric is obviously still a main part of the games. But I think a lot of other people kind of you know Fenris etc. kind of fall by the wayside. I'm I'm kind of in the camp that we're probably not probably, but like we might see Fenris in Dragon Age Four because like he he is. Almost a face for, like, the anti-slavery movement, or at least to fans. So, like, that would be kind of an interesting, like, throwback. It'd be like, oh, hey, remember Fender? Because, like, if you read the World of Thetis books, apparently if, whether he's romanced or not, like, he's his, you know, fun thing to do during the off time is just go slave hunting. Or, you know, slave hunter hunting? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, and just, like, trying to free the slaves. So he's already doing the work. I think they've already set that up. And kind of also a meta, if you look at the World of Thetis book, he has a whole different design than anything that we've seen before. Why did they redesign Fenris for no reason? Same thing with Zevran, too, because he has this whole cool outfit in the World of Thetis books that doesn't appear in any other art that we've seen of him. So, like, why did they redesign him? Is he going to see it? Like, was he planned to show up? And then he isn't going to. But, like, that's why they have the artwork. Did the artist just want to say, like, fuck it, I want to have Fenris shirtless. Why not? So that's kind of my meta-analysis of, like, maybe we'll see him again. But, yeah, I don't, like, I I really want to know what happened with Meryl's mirror, but I don't think we're going to see that again. I don't think we're going to see Fenriel again. Um, I'd be surprised. I I love Aveline with all my heart. I'd be surprised if we see her again. Um, I think Sebastian's going to be exiled to the comics. I don't think we're going to see him in the game. Um, Yeah, I'd love to see just how, just to follow up with Meryl in general. She's one of my favorite characters in Dragon Age. I think she's super unique. And then she's just kind of like, you're right, the the Alluvian and all that stuff would be great. But just her in general, and it'd be nice to see a follow up. Now we have to talk about Meryl because I don't know why. And I feel bad saying this. I kind of hate Meryl. (laughs) (laughs) So let's, so let's, so let's recap. You hate PB, you hate Suvi, and you hate Meryl. So we have. Well, well, hold on. I hate P. No, I actually hate PB. (laughs) Suvi, I'm okay with, but like she does a couple of things. I actually think Suvi and Meryl is going to be on the same boat here. Not my favorite character. They're okay. I like them well enough. Like, you know, they're, they're on, they're not on my shit. PB's on my shit list. PB can go suck it. 
<laughs> Meryl and Subi, I just don't get them. I don't get like why people like them so much, I guess. Yeah, PB is like fundamental character persona, you know, like Meryl Suvi is more like, look, you're a good person. Just don't lick rocks and don't summon demons. Yes. <laughs> yes. That I actually never connected the Suvi Meryl thing in my mind, but now that we're talking about it, yes, it's totally the same line of thinking of why they bother me. I gotcha. It's like, hey, look, you're a smart person. Just stop doing dumb stuff. Yeah. And, and like, I, this is more going to be more about my mindset. And like, I feel like it's kind of selfish to say, but like, I, when her big uh, character moment comes up and Marinthari like takes the demon into herself and then Meryl blames herself. Like, I get that's what Meryl did and whatever, but, like, why would you blame yourself for something, in, like, your idiot Keeper did? Like, why would you... I don't get why the Keeper took the demon to begin with. Why was that a thing? Why, like, I don't understand any motivation behind what was going on. So as I'm playing this, I'm like, everyone's re- everyone's stupid here. I don't... What just happened? <laughs> yeah, I think I think as I, as I recall it or as I remember it, at least it was set up. Uh, in such a way not necessarily fleshed out but they just set mm-hmm. it up as though her taking the demon was the only way to stop it or contain it somehow mm-hmm. uh, which is, isn't really consistent with how demons have been dispatched countless times in the past in Dragon Age but for whatever reason this demon was going to require her to sacrifice herself it kind of just felt like that was supposed to be Meryl's moment like Meryl is being reckless the entire time, right? Like it's obvious that yeah. she's just like, yeah, blood magic, it's cool, it'll be fine. Demons, no, not me. Everybody else gets tripped up by demons, not me. And mm-hmm. so it's obvious that there needs to be this moment where she realizes how wrong she was. But you're right, the the fact that they tied it into Marathari having to sacrifice herself felt kind of ham-fisted. And then it also takes away some of the punch because like, you're right, Meryl's recklessness is something that she should feel bad about but specifically the keeper dying isn't really her fault. Yeah, and it's it's I I don't know, like when she like you go out there and you meet her clan and they're like you killed Marinthari, Marinthari and you're like actually no, she did this to herself and it, like yeah, she the keeper abandoned her entire clan to try to save the life of her keep like her uh, her first. Like I get that, but the entire time it just kind of felt like this is so unnecessary. Like if you just talked to one another, this thing, I maybe that's what bothers me. If they will just like talk to one another for entire this quest, like things might have worked out a lot better than they did. We just need a good therapy session, guys. It's all we needed. That's all we lacked. <laughs> oh lord. Yeah. Well, um, I think that this is a good place to end it. So, what are your final words on Dragon Age Two? Final words on Dragon Age Two are. It's got a special place for me. I enjoy playing it very much. I think every time I've gone back to play it, I enjoy it more than I did previously. Mm-hmm. But the legacy of it is just something that all the circumstances around it weren't great. And as a result, you know, the reception of it uh, was not great. But I love Hawk. I love Hawk as a character. Uh, I, I wish things had turned out differently so it could have kept on being Hawk. I hope we see some of Hawk um maybe at uh at seeing sort of at weishop what's happening with the gray wardens in dragon age 4 that would be cool mm-hmm. um but otherwise i think we got some great characters out of it i think anders is a great character i think meryl is a great character if she would just not summon so many demons uh <laughs> and i think varick is a great character so overall even though i think i think the legacy dlc is one of the coolest dlcs and how how what the implications are for it and how it sets up Inquisition. So overall, there's tons of positive stuff in Dragon Age 2 that does get carried forward. Um, I just think, you know, unfortunately, that short time frame for development and then the reception wasn't great. But I, I honestly, mm-hmm. it's one of my um, it's one of my favorite gaming experiences. I uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite gaming experience, but I did have a lot of fun with it. And like, I, I really do love the Dragon Age series, so maybe that's my bias there. But um, I, I almost feel like Dragon Age 2 and kind of it's almost uh, post-release success. I don't know if that really 
I don't know if that's the word I should be using, but I feel like it's doing a lot better now than maybe it did back then uh, because a lot of the the drama has calmed down and people are able to see the good side of it. I I think that whole message and what's happening right now with Dragon Age 2 is kind of maybe hope, if you really like Andromeda, that give it a couple years and people who like really, really hated it will be like, you know, forget it, whatever. And then people who actually really liked the game are going to come out and be like, no, Ryder was my favorite. I really like Jaw and PB and all that stuff. So I think that if you're someone who really, really likes Mass Effect and Andromeda and doesn't like all the drama behind it, give it a little bit, look at Dragon Age 2, see how everyone hated it, and now everyone, like, loves it. Just give it a few minutes, guys. It'll be all right. So I guess that's my final opinion on it. One day down the road, we might be doing a retrospect on Andromeda where we talk about how it's redeemed itself as time has gone on. Maybe. I, I would also like to, ho- like, uh, so far we haven't heard any DLC, so I, I, I do you think DLC is going to come out for Andromeda? I don't think so, so far. I don't. I think it's because it's yeah. starting to set in for everybody. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. My sweet baby Corians are stuck in the Milky Way. <laughs> in limbo forever for all time. Oh, well. Well, um, all right. Do you want to tell people where you can find you? Uh, they can find me on YouTube under the channel Exalted March. Um, been a bit of a lull on content, but I'll be back. I'll be coming out with some stuff uh, in the future. And we will also have, I know we talked about it before, some people had asked for the audio-only version of the podcast. That should be mm-hmm. up, and we should, if I've got, if I'm able to get everything uploaded, we should be able to include a link, I'm sure, in the description for this episode. Yeah, which we should describe. We didn't really know how to give you guys an audio-only format, so what we've decided to do is just put up, uh, I, I believe, a Google Drive with uh, downloadable links to all of the, uh, is it MP3s? Uh, yeah, well, either, yeah, probably MP3s will be easier for the file size, so. Yeah, so, like, where you can download the MP3s and put it onto whatever podcasting, whatever unit. If there's something that you guys like to see, let us know, because I, the only real um, podcast stuff I listen to is through iTunes, and iTunes is really difficult to set up, and I don't know if I'd want to do that, so. Yeah. <laughs> let us know what you guys want to see, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, as for where you can find me, um, I'm at Gilderthalen on YouTube or and Twitter, and then uh, Gillen on, on Reddit. If you want to PM me there, feel free. Uh, and then if there's anything you want to say for Split the Veil, just talk to either one of us or leave a message on whatever video on your channel, my channel, uh, and we'll get to it. All right. So I guess with that, Dara Sharal. <laughs>